We're into Romans chapter 8. The book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 8. And we're going to take our reading of the first uh, 17 verses in a moment. But just very quickly, a summary of where we've got to in following Paul's train of thought. You remember in chapter 6, he spoke about the believer's identification with the Lord Jesus through faith and also through baptism. It brings them into a life of freedom. And then in chapter 7, he wants to continue this um, teaching about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How we have come to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are his forever. But because there was a faction in the church of God in Rome who were Jewish Christians who were thinking that it was important to keep following the things of the, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses as we might call it. He had to stop and explain that he wasn't um, denigrating or belittling the law at all. Chapter 7 we learned that he was saying that the law was good. It was from God. It was actually grace from God. But it revealed how each of us is a sinner and we could not in and of ourselves live in any way to please and honour God in our own strength and that's where we've been in Romans chapter 7 and in Romans chapter 6 so Paul's had a little bit of a diversion because he wants and has wanted to address that group who were so caught up with the importance of keeping the law that it was almost vital for them to keep that so that they would be sure of their salvation but he has mentioned already your identification with Christ your belonging to him and the power of the spirit in your life has brought you into freedom and so I think he picks up again that theme that he'd already started that seems to finish at Romans 7 verse 5 or 6 and he picks it up again here in Romans 8 one of the greatest uh, chapters we can read together so he's had this picture painted in his writing that in and of ourselves believers as well as unbelievers in and of ourselves we cannot live in a way that pleases God but for the believer there's joy and there's freedom let's read it Romans chapter 8 Starting from verse 1, therefore, and that links it to what has gone before, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. To be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law. Might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh. But according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh. Have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit. Have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind 
governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings. In order that we may also share in his glory. Here's a portion of God's word that we would do well to spend a couple of years in. But we've got 20 minutes. The title for today's talk in our scheme of um, the Roman series is Deliverance Realised. Here is Paul and he's back reminding those who are in the church of God in Rome who have put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus, both Jewish Christians who had this tendency to keep the law and the Gentiles who saw that the law wasn't necessary for salvation. For both of them, both groups, there was a level playing field that everybody by faith in Christ was brought into a life of freedom and power by the indwelling of God's Spirit. You'll notice in this just three words that begin with O um, that you might want to put away in your mind here. We've already seen that Paul in Romans 7 has spoken about ownership. We now belong to Christ. And he comes back to that in this passage and says that we belong to God because the spirit of God comes to be with us we're secured as those who have faith in Christ and his life and his sacrifice we belong to God ownership we're owned by God it's a good thing you notice in Romans 8 verse 12 as well he says we're obligated not to live according to the flesh which is the realm of life that's outside of the power of Christ and the power of the Spirit of God. We're not to live obligated to that sort of life, but we're obligated rather, it's an obligation to live in the power and the freedom of the Spirit of God. So there's ownership and there's obligation, but isn't there a third word in all of this? There's a really wonderful opportunity to embrace the fullness of life that Paul sees that the believer has been brought into the person who trusts the Saviour 
is brought into a life that provides so much opportunity to serve and to glorify him and to give satisfaction in this life because we're brought into a freedom and it's a freedom from slavery to fear. We'll come back to that in a moment. So we're considering then deliverance realised. Notice in the text, if you were to count them up, that the Spirit appears 13 times in there. It didn't in the last section of Romans 7 when there was this struggle about the living a life in your own power and trying to please God. The Spirit wasn't mentioned, but the Spirit is mentioned here. But that's set against the mention of the flesh. This realm of living where Christ and the power of the Spirit is ignored. 13 times as well. So there's a balance in this little section here. And Paul wants us, of course, to focus in on the life. That is, that is the life of the believer through the power of the Spirit. Just to say it again, the phrase in the flesh is an existence outside of Christ. And we might think, well, that, that belongs to those who haven't put their faith and their trust in him. But maybe in the context of the letter it can belong to those who say they have. But then live a life that is contrary to the things of Christ. It's an existence outside of Christ. Apart from Christ. That's really under the control of sin. And Paul's taken a long time. Up to this point in the letter. To say that the wages of sin is death. He doesn't want us to live in that fear. What's really remarkable about Romans 8. Is Paul is going to remind them and us that while we have no inherent capacity in ourselves to live for God, to please him, but that the power and the capacity to live for God is outside of ourselves, it's in God. It's in Christ who is the saviour. The remarkable thing that we come across in Romans 8, not just there, of course, it was spoken by the Lord Jesus himself and also by God in the Old Testament, is that that power and that capacity that is outside of us comes to be in us. What remarkable grace and working of God. That he would not remain outside of us, the one we have to hold on to for our salvation and, and we cling to him by faith through trusting in the saviour yes that power is outside of us because there's nothing inherently qualified in us but then he comes and the moment we take hold the spirit has done his work and he comes and takes hold of us new ownership our life is in god's hands new obligation we're to live the life that he's come to bring us into with all of its opportunities very quickly just working our way through the text in the next few minutes notice he says therefore there's no condemnation or penalty for those who are in Christ Jesus that's a, a favorite term of Paul in Christ Jesus it's as though my arm is in David Woods it's part of me it's that sense this joining of us to the Lord theologians down the centuries have used the term union with Christ and it's eternal union. We're brought into this oneness with Christ. And for those who know that, through the working of the Spirit, and have been caused to see Christ as the Saviour, 
We're in Christ and there's no penalty for us. It's been removed. The penalty of sin has gone. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul has spent a long time saying that if you try in your natural sinful state to live even according to the law of God or to God's general revelation of his law through the morality that exists in humanity, in humanity, it's going to result in death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. But he says that through Christ Jesus, so being in Christ Jesus, we can stand back and say that it's through Christ Jesus that the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free. Notice we're not set free to do whatever we want. It's the law of the Spirit who gives life. It's a principle. It's the principles that God has always had that come to us. But they come to us by the coming of the person of the Spirit himself. The law of the Spirit who gives life. He gives life and he says you're now under new ownership. Now I give you the power to live this way. That's a remarkable verse. Set free from the, a life that's just consumed with trying to achieve what it cannot achieve in its own strength. But the power comes through the Spirit himself. You know, God spoke of this back in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31. It's a favourite chapter of mine when he speaks about a new covenant that he's going to enter into with Israel and extends to us. He says... This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is verse 33 of Jeremiah 31. It says, I will put my law within them. The law from Moses was outside of them. But he says here in the new covenant, a new relationship, I'll put my law within them and I'll write it on their heart and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Comes to us, doesn't it? Because the spirit has come. Verse 3 of Romans 8, for what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin or as a sin offering. So we condemn sin in the flesh. Here is how we know that what God has told us in his word and what the spirit testifies in our lives is true. Because Christ Jesus, the eternal son of God, has come in the likeness of sinful flesh. You come into the book of James, it says that we can use our mouths to um, bless God at the same time as we might curse those who are made in the likeness of God. It takes you back uh, to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 where it says that God made humanity in his image. It's the same wording. Here is the Son of God, the eternal Son, who in his love and in the wonder of God's eternal grace comes in the likeness or in the image of sinful flesh, in the image of humanity, but yet he was entirely without sin. That's important. It was in the likeness of. Just like we as the image of God are not God, but we demonstrate in, in our being some of the attributes of God, but in a very limited way. What is remarkable that when Christ comes, he comes in the likeness of humanity, but he actually is perfect humanity, as God always intended it. He doesn't come um, and with any sin. He is set apart. He is a glorious saviour. 
And not only that, he came knowing that he would be the offering for sin as well. Sin offering. There's the, the securing for us of this new ownership and bring us into this obligation to live according to the power of the Spirit and his law in our lives with all of the opportunities that comes to us. He pronounced a final judgment on sin because he was able as a perfect man to live a sinless life. And then, having lived that sinless life, offer his life on behalf of those who were guilty and those who put their faith and their trust in him are then counted as being in him and he comes to be with us. You see why we need two years. Verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So you see here, Paul's saying, when you realize this and you're living this life that God brings you into by the power of the spirit because you're in Christ, the spirit comes to be in you. What is outside of you comes to be in you and to give you power. He says, when you live in this way, the righteous requirement of the law that you could not live is actually met. When you live in the power of the Spirit, you now have the capacity to live for God's glory. You didn't have it before. Isn't that remarkable? It takes us back to Steve's talk in Romans 6 about we now have the capacity to choose to not sin. We didn't have that before, but the Spirit comes and he helps us and he guides us and he directs us. And then Paul goes into this section about the mind governed by the flesh is death and the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Let's not kid ourselves as those who may be believers in the Lord Jesus that we can then live the life that God has for us in our own power. Paul said we can't. And now he's saying, as God gives it to us in his word, he says you can only live it by the power of the Spirit. And that means inviting the Spirit to take up everything of our experience and saying to him, I know now that I am owned by you, God, and I know that I am obligated to live this way, and it's a joy to live it because the opportunity to live in the power of the freedom that comes is glorious. Notice this uh, language of a mind governed. We allow our minds to be governed by what we think of. No wonder Paul said in another place, think on these things, whatever is good and honourable and so on. What we choose to set our mind on determines how we live. And this brings in this, this concept of mindset. You see it here. If I was reading my New American Standard Bible, it actually says a mindset on the flesh or a mindset on the spirits. Mindset. We use that in everyday language. It's where your mind is fixed and that determines how you live. Paul's saying 2,000 years ago and to us today, if your mind is set, governed, voluntarily governed by the Spirit of God, it's not going to be hostile to God's things. It's not going to react to God's things. And I don't want to live that way. Instead, it's going to embrace them. And we'll live a life that can please God. That's why he goes on then in the next verses. You are in the realm of the Spirit. What a wonderful way to describe the new life. It's not this existence outside of or away from Christ. 
struggling to make sense of this existence, but rather we're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now Paul could not be certain that everybody that was in the church of God was a believer. So he takes his opportunity just to say, are you sure about this? If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong, this matter of ownership. You don't belong to God. You might say it, but you don't belong to him if the Spirit is not in you. That power that is outside of you that lay hold of comes to be in you. And notice the wonder of the indwelling of the Spirit brings God in the fullness of his Trinity to us. We've been thinking about God the Spirit, often referred to as the third person of the Trinity. It's almost as if there's a hierarchy there, but that's not intended at all. Uh, very difficult. But we've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. What do we have in these verses 9 to 11? You're in the realm of the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. But then he goes on and says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, so that life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah that was lived out and models for us a life of freedom, according to God's ways. It's come to be in us. Christ is in us. And then he goes on and he says, but if Christ is in you, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, who's that? That's the Father. So the Father is there too. So God in all of his fullness comes to be with us. Maybe we can be guilty sometimes of thinking we've just got one of the, um, one of the persons of the Trinity indwelling us. But when God has come to be with us, there is no God without all three. We don't have time to get into the Trinity, but I, I think you're getting the point. Here Paul, in a few words, is able to remind his readers and us, God, in all of his power, in all of his fullness, has come to be in us. And then we have this obligation, because of that, to live. Not to the flesh, not in a way that disregards the things of God, but notice it's by the Spirit, it's by God's indwelling power that we can put to death, actively choosing to do that. So we set our minds. That's an active humbling of ourselves to live God's way and recognizing that there are things that when God comes to be in our lives, highlights that which is not in line with his righteousness. We can put those misdeeds to death by the power of the Spirit gives the impression we can't do that on our own. That habitual sin that we try and say, oh, I've done that, God, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. If we keep saying that, it's not going to improve. By the power of the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body, then we will live. I was just looking at when the sun was shining on the base of this lectern just before it came up, and it highlighted the, the dust at the bottom. You can't see it now. But when that light was shining, we could see it, and I wanted to go and get the duster and get rid of it. You get the point. The Spirit of God comes, and he illuminates our lives and shows us where we need to live in his power. Verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are children or sons of God. It's really sons of God. And Paul's latching on to the, the adoption language that was a great thing in Roman culture at the time where the head of a household, and quite often Roman dignitaries would have a massive household comprised of servants and so on. If uh, the head of the household took a, a really positive shine, if I can say, um, approval to one person, and that person was without 
any way going to be able to trace their lineage to parents or maybe their parents were even, had even died. That Roman dignitary or even just a head of a household could take that person and bring them into the family with all of the full inheritance rights of the, those who would be, be born of the, um, the head of the household's union with his wife. That's what Paul's talking about. We're brought into the fullness of an inheritance. You might notice if you go back and read the passage again that it begins with Paul telling us we are indwelt by the Spirit. That then enables us to live by the Spirit. And that means that we can put to death the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit. And that then guides us in life and we're led by the Spirit. That's there in verse 14. Verse 15, very quickly, we're going to deal with this. For me, this has stood out as almost a, a key verse. The spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry out a father. So here's this language of adoption, but I want to say this. The adopted ones enter into the fullness of the inheritance and blessings of the household. That's what comes to those who put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus. Now that transforms life now and into the future. Paul very clearly says that coming under this regulation of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit and living the life of freedom that he wants us to enjoy is a freedom from living in fear. And what's that fear? We've learned earlier, it's the fear that comes from living a life where sin and death are constantly present and a threat. And a threat. It's the fear of death. The spirit of slavery leading to fear. Being unable to escape death. The wages of sin is death, Paul has told us. But that's not the life. A child of God. A son of God who inherits all that God is. Along with Christ the Saviour. Does not live fearful of death. Because Christ Deliverance realised. He rescues us from the fear of death. Now, if you have a, a reference Bible, I can fairly much guarantee that your reference Bible will have taken you to Hebrews chapter 2 in this verse. Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15 says, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Isn't that an echo of what we've already looked at? He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear to death. Now that's a logical linking of those two passages. You see the point Paul is saying, life in the spirit releases you from the fear of death. That's the life that we're to live. Jesus lived that life, knowing that he was going to die, but he lived it Without the fear of death. I think we see that in the way he lives. No wonder Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why could he say that? Because the greatest gain is what is ahead of us. As promised in God's word. For those who are indwelt by the spirit. Faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus. What is it? That death is the gateway into the presence of Christ. That's how believers are supposed to view death as the gateway 
to the greater glories that are to come. Westminster Catechism famously says the chief end of man is to glorify God and we do that in our lives and to enjoy him forever because that's what's coming. So the Spirit himself, verse 16, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I've often been asked, how do you know you're a Christian? I say, well, I just know. And that's the work of God. Combination of what God has said in his word and the conviction is helped by the spirit to trust it. It's there. But notice at the end of verse 17, which is often um, not majored on, when it's, Paul's talked about our inheritance that is to come. Now, we normally get an inheritance when somebody else dies, don't we? Christ has died, so the inheritance would come, and the writer of Hebrews tackles that. But we get the fullness of our inheritance when we die. When we go through that gateway into the presence of Christ, as John was quoting in his thanksgiving this morning, Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy. That comes to us. But verse 17 says, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Living for Christ in this free way according to the Spirit that's not afraid of death but lives in the power that the Spirit provides to put to death the misdeeds of the body and to be guided by him in everything that we do and to honour God even when that might be entirely contrary to society and what it expects we can live free knowing that even if the most severest of persecution would come to us and our life was taken it's a gateway to the presence of Christ so in summary I'd just like to say this. We learn that by the Spirit's power in our lives, we're delivered. We know deliverance from the enslaving daily concerns of living as a follower of Jesus. We know the deliverance from the enslaving and the controlling power of sin we can put to death, the deeds, the body. We know deliverance from our own misguided life navigation system. We have the Spirit now able to guide us and show us the way through God's word. And we have this deliverance from the enslaving fear of death. We're to live under the principles of God that are life and freedom. Life and peace. Let's embrace that life by his power. Let's pray.